Hey, welcome to another episode of Footnotes. Today, we're gonna to be talking with Aaron Rowe, who is the CEO of Harvest Hope Food Bank. And I think when we think about food banks, of course, we think about hungry people and people that have almost an immediate need. And Aaron does a good job of helping us understand who they are serving. It is people that have an immediate need, but to also talk about just the breadth and scope of their organization, as well as what it was like to have been a volunteer and to now be the head of an organization. Check it out. Aaron, thanks for sitting down with us. Um, we've got Aaron Rowe. She's the CEO of Harvest Hope Food Bank, mm-hmm. uh, something that a lot of people I think are familiar with in, in our area. Um, but, you know, in, in looking at your background, you had a start with Harvest Hope before it became your day job. What? How did you get started with, with Harvest Hope? Thank you for having me. And it has been a very long and... Um, a great relationship. I started out on the board of Harvest Hope in 2015. Okay. So I've always loved food. I love feeding people. It's a passion of mine. And when I was looking for board opportunities, I wanted to definitely work on mm-hmm. a board with an organization that aligned with how I like to give back. And Harvest Hope definitely fit that. And so I started on the board in 2015 and then moved on to being the board chair in 2019 and 20 and then have just recently taken on this new role with the organization. So what's it like to be kind of on one side of the table as sort of a volunteer, you know, helping think about strategy and, mm-hmm. and you know, how to make the organization work to now being the person who you're the executive? What, mm-hmm. what's, what's it like to go from one side to the other? When you get paid, when you don't. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> just kidding. Um, I think it was really helpful in my journey to this role, because from the board side, you see a very 30,000 foot level. Mm -hmm. So you're looking at it from a five-year perspective, you're looking at it from a high-level strategy level, but you don't necessarily know all the complexities that go into making that strategy work. So Mm -hmm. that's what you get passed on to your leadership at the organization. So I think going into this role is really helpful for me to have looked at the organization from that 30,000-foot level for the past six years, seeing how the industry has changed, seeing how food insecurity has changed, and then moving into this role, now I can make it happen. So Mm. now this is a much more granular role. You get to create the processes to fulfill the strategy. So this is a good place to, um, and understand where the board's coming from because I was on it. When we're going to the granular level and looking at the strategies, I'm able to create processes and look at it from their perspective because I was I was a part of that mm-hmm. decision making during those last six years. So I think a lot of people, when they think about Harvest Hope, mm-hmm. they they imagine or they've seen pictures or or, or video from you know, the line of cars um, of people that that need the services of Harvest Hope, and and they see that um, they see the food drives, you know, getting cans of food and things like that that you guys need. Um, but food insecurity, I think, is a term that, that I mean, you mentioned it earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, for the rest of us that aren't, that this isn't our day job or something that we've spent just a significant portion of our life giving time and attention to, what what is what's a good working definition of that? Yeah, definitely. And that's part of our job as an organization is to educate people on what food insecurity is because you find people create a picture in their mind of a hungry person. We'll even say hungry. And a lot of times that's not 
even the real reasons that they're in our food line. A good definition of food insecurity is when a family or household has to make a trade-off between an essential item, whether it's medical bills, childcare, okay. transportation, and buying food. And so food insecurity isn't a continual thing, meaning a household might be food insecure in a moment because of multiple causes that have happened in their lives. Um, a car breaking down, a high medical bill, a child getting out of school and now I have to have daycare. So all of those are root causes of food insecurity. And so food insecurity is that moment when a household or a family or a person has to make a decision. Do I buy food or do I pay for blank? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I mean, when I hear you say that, food insecurity could be just around the corner for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Is that it fair is. to say? It is, and I think a benefit, I'll say, um, a consequence of COVID, we'll say that. Some have been positive and some negative. Mm -hmm. A consequence for food insecurity is it's shown a light on it because it was a friend of mine because now what happened was your neighbor had to make that decision. Your friend had to make that decision. A classmate had to make that decision. So people in those moments of, do I pay for blank or do I buy food? It, it got a, a light shown on it and it made it very real for people because it's not a stranger on a street that made a bad life decision. You, and it's very easy for people to rationalize their acceptance of things if they paint a picture that doesn't involve anybody else except that one person. Does that make sense? And so when you're looking at food insecurity, there are so many root causes to it that aren't necessarily a product of a person's poor choice in one moment in time. Mm -hmm. When you're talking about food insecurity and not really necessarily worrying about someone's choices or how mm -hmm. they got there, the point is that, that they are there. Um, in a way, it sounds like you're sort of a first responder you know, you, you see a problem, there's a problem, and you're going to do it. How does how does that play out? And, and you're correct. You know, food, you have to eat or you die. And that, that's just the bottom line. And so I am not ever going to tell a child I'm not going to give you food. And, and what mm -hmm. happens is it becomes very polarized and it becomes very political and it becomes very right-wing, left-wing, Democrat, Republican, and the issue is tried to be put in a box. Mm -hmm. And so I am not responsible for how we got here. And all we can do is look at where we're at and then move forward. You know, in the state of South Carolina, there's 555,000 people classified as food insecure. So that's about 10% of our population. It is about 10%. And then, you know, in the counties we cover is half. We have 212,000 that are food insecure right now. And so I can't use my time and energy playing the blame game and figuring out why it happened. We just have to look at where we're at and move forward. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of like, you know, when you get into a car accident, the EMS doesn't sit there at first and say, why'd you run the red yeah. light? Like if you hadn't run the red light, then I wouldn't have to be here, you know, with the red lights and the sirens and stuff. You exactly. know, you don't see that. They just, they, they're there, there's an accident, they need to respond and they go to work. And if you think even through that, if I took the time, if I was a, an EMS and I took the time to ask you and try to figure out why you did it you're still hurt and in need. So I'm not even helping you. I'm, I'm spending my time and energy trying to validate how you got there or, or find the why behind why you got there. And so I think when people are looking at food insecurity, there's a lot of time and energy spent on 
rationalizing why a person is in that position mm-hmm. and, and playing it off your political spectrum or playing it off your social needs spectrum and not just they're here, we have to feed them. And then moving forward, how can we help this person not come back and have to use our services? That That is helpful to think about it that way. Um, and, and sort of, about, I feel like I'm having my eyes open as mm-hmm. we're speaking about it, it could be a ra- right around the corner for a lot more people than would than you would think, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's helpful for people to understand. Um, shifting gears, though, back to maybe leadership of an organization, you know, you, you're, you know, if, if you've got the org chart, you know, you're there at the top with at Harvest Hope. And so when when you're there at the top and you're providing leadership and, and, and thinking and the ideas and, and, you know, the cheerleading and all the motivation mm-hmm. of a team. Um, in our conversation before this conversation, you talked about a few things that that you guys lean on pretty heavily in terms of your values and your goals. Mm-hmm. What what are the values and, and goals um, that you guys use to guide your daily work? And that's a great question. And we were looking at creating a culture with Harvest Hope, you do want to have your vision first. You mm-hmm. you need to have it defined. Where do you want to go? And, and Harvest Hope's vision is a hunger-free South Carolina. And that's a very high-level 30,000-foot vision. It mm-hmm. is broad. And so you take that vision and then you start putting pieces to it that are your values. It's your mission statement. And those are the pieces that you have to do every day to get to your vision. Mm-hmm. And when we thought about our values, we wanted to look at it across the board, not just focused on an individual's moment in time of why they have to use one of our services or our partner agency services. And we wanted to look at our culture as a whole and basic human kindness as a goal and empathy as a goal. And so when we were looking at our values, social justice is a value, respect is a value, integrity is a value. Collaboration is a value. Um, Innovation is a value. Accountability and excellence. So we want to create values that I can use and our organization can use as a baseline for you interacting with us on a donor level, you interacting with us on a client level, an agency level, or even our employee level. We have these posted when we start meetings. I start meetings out with our values. When we hire, I post our values um, in our job postings because that is how we want to act and live as an organization. How important is the repetition of those values to your, let's just say your team, your yeah. team members? How, talk to us about that. Well, I mean, if, if you see one thing once, it's out of your mind. And so when you're having conversations with teammates, if you're having conversations on strategies, you have to have those in place because mm-hmm. if you don't, you could create a strategy or path that could veer off of your values. And then you wake up a year down the road and you don't understand how you got there. And so when you're talking to employees and um, issues come up or problems come up, you can use these as a playing field for, did we veer from our values? You know, look for root cause issues or even the accountability piece. You know, this is part of our culture is accountability. So when we're asking you to perform a task or to you know, create a um, solution for something, we're going to hold you accountable for it. And in the same way for our donors, you know, we're accountable to our donors for their funds that they've graciously given to us. Mm -hmm. And I want to be cognizant of that and hold myself accountable for how we use those funds. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I've, we've had other guests on that, that have talked a lot about mission and, and mm-hmm. values and just that being um, sort of home base for them as yeah. an organization to say like, hey, you don't need to be like this other person. The organization needs to be like this. Yeah. You know, if we are exhibiting these behaviors or these attributes together in our daily work, then the organization is going to look like the thing we want it to, to look like. And as opposed to, I think a lot of people get into a trap of thinking, I need to emulate this person or I need to be more like so-and-so. And, you know, you can you can sort of narrow the field there as opposed to broadening it, mm-hmm. broadening it to the organization, um, which is, I think, what you said you're trying to achieve there in yeah. cultural creation and things well, like that. Well, think of that. So if you have to emulate a person, you take the person who's emulating personality, background, perspective off the table. And if you're creating a culture with these values, they're boundaries because if you don't have them, then there's no direction. So there's no way to move forward because you have nothing to, um, like, not judge yourself, but there's no place of a snapshot to see where you are, to see where you're going Mm -hmm. down a path if you don't have that path or those values or your mission defined. Mm -hmm. You're just, you're spinning your wheels and you can spin them in a thousand different directions because you don't have focus. Yeah, and it sounds like if you're trying to create a hunger-free South Carolina, you know, you you have to, you need that. You have to be deliberate, yes. So in thinking about, you know, creating a hunger-free South Carolina, um, what are some of the ways that people interact, let's say people that need the services, Mm -hmm. you know, how are you, fulfilling that vision within South Carolina. Like I said, we taught, I think people imagine sort of the food lines or the cars parked yeah. that, that are waiting to drive into the warehouse there on Shop Road. But um, I think you've told me there are other ways that you guys are interacting and helping to fulfill that that vision of a hunger-free South Carolina. What are, what are some of those? Yeah, and it is a multi-pronged approach because, you know, we don't want to be a Band-Aid. That doesn't solve any problems and that just creates repetition. So if we want our end mission and goal to be a hunger-free South Carolina, that means actions have been taken to reduce need and to um, create solutions for people in a moment that they don't have to make that choice between paying for a medical bill and buying food. And that's a very broad issue base. So we, and, and people don't understand the complexity of what we actually do. We are a food logistics company. So we have three warehouses. We have one in the upstate, one here in the Midlands, and then one in the PD. And we work with partner agencies because we can't distribute to our end clients directly on that scale. We cover 20 counties of the state. And so we have anywhere between 380 and 400 partner agencies. Okay. And what we do with our size and logistics ability is we can collect food, we can process it, we can store it because people, it is food. So you are regulated by all the food mm-hmm. laws and restrictions sure. that a grocery store, a restaurant, you know, we still have to maintain cleanliness, food storage, temperature control, all of that. But because of our size, we can do that for our partner agencies and then they distribute it to the clients. So we okay. take on the burden of moving the food, collecting the food, storing it for our agency so then they can just focus on distributing it to the end end client. Um, The food is just one piece of it. You know, if you're going to change somebody, education is a big part of it. Teaching them how to eat because we also have looked at how health and nutrition are so combined. Mm -hmm. And when you're looking at 
the holistic picture of human need, not just a, a moment, you have to look at it all. And so what you eat has a direct reflection on how you feel if you're sure. sick, if you have diabetes or heart, you know, you have to adjust your eating habits. And so we are working with a lot of healthcare providers and in the healthcare industry to really target areas that don't have a lot of access to healthy food, whether it's produce or even understanding how to eat healthy. And so we are doing educational videos on nutrition that we can help pass out. Um, you also need to look at root cause issues as far as, and we can't solve everything. And that's the thing is like, it, it is such a complex issue that we can focus on things we have control over, but it is going to take a partnership of multiple different organizations, multiple different industries to really remove food insecurity in South Carolina. Yeah, it does sound like one of those things, you know, you, you hear it and, and not to make light of it, but, you know, boiling the ocean or, you know, yeah. creating world peace, you know, it, it seems like, it, it seems like an impossible task, but I think you guys, you, you approach it in an objective way. Mm -hmm. I mean, in a way, you know, you, you lead an organization, you know, it's, it's not it, at your level, it's not a group of volunteers. It's people where your job is, to, is to do th yeah. these things. So when you think about work and what makes work fulfilling and accomplishment, but you think about the vision, you know, is there just built in frustration there? Or do you feel like you are making a dent in, in, the vision. And I think you have to take those moments of you can't look at the whole ocean, just look at that one moment because it it is a broad and an aggressive goal. Mm -hmm. But you have to also work all the way down to each interaction with our organization, whether it's from a donor, a volunteer base, a client base, an agency base. And you have to go to each of those one interactions. And does that interaction leave that person in a better place? Mm -hmm. And that's as simple as it is. Because if you do that continually, and we're focusing on the interactions of how people deal with our organizations and how we deal with other people, and if we ensure each of those moments, they leave better, eventually the ocean will get it, it'll become in scope. You, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, and it's not an overnight process. It's not something that we can change by ourselves. But what we can control is how each person interacts with us. Yeah. I like the way you put that, where where you've got to bring things in the scope because mm -hmm. if you just stand there sort of on, on the beach, if you will, and you just look at, you know, this expanse, it um, the overwhelm, I would think, is is pretty rapid and, and overwhelming. But I think that's what, you know, people have to remember. And maybe that's one of the footnotes here is that, you know, when you have broad problems or, or broad issues that you're trying to solve in in, a, in an aggressive way, um, you still got to take it down to that interaction. You know, it does matter to that person and to that yep. one and to that one. And I think that's um, sometimes it's lost on sort of, like I said, the rest of us when we look at an organization that's doing the good that you guys are doing is that it still just comes down to moments mm -hmm. and to people. Um, and uh, that can of food does matter yep. to somebody. It does. And so if you're even taking it outside of just our organization, another, if you're looking at a huge issue, you can't ever solve a huge issue in one step. I, I can't think of one. I've, I've tried to rack my brain. And so allowing yourself that moment to stop 
and then just start working back and understand what you can control. Because a lot of people get very lost in worrying and spending time and energy and creating strategies on things they have no control over. And so that's a waste of your time and resources. So if you can pinpoint things that you actually have control over and focus on that, you will start seeing other things adjust because you're part of the problem has been fixed. And so that is a way to look at these massive problems. And, you know, and that food insecurity is our, our issue that we're dealing with, but companies have different issues depending upon their organization, yeah. you know, what their goals are, but understanding what you control and then creating really strategic, deliberate processes for that will help you look at the whole entire picture eventually. So... I think people don't give themselves enough time and space to do that. Like in their mind, they have to do it now or have to have the solution immediately. And so that can also create more problems if you do not take the time to look through the whole process to see where you actually can make change or am I spending so much time over here and it's it's for nothing. Yeah, I think it's a very practical approach that, you know, we sort of have a culture and certainly in, in the business community where, you know, the overnight success gets all the cel the celebration mm -hmm. and all the spotlight versus the, the something that just kind of plods along and very systematically and very deliberately, you know, goes about its work and sometimes get lost in the in the shuffle. And I think some of the overnight successes, they show the moment of success, but they very rarely show the entire journey for that person to get there. Because a lot of times that people have been overnight successful, there's been lots of garage businesses, there's been lots of blood, sweat, and tears. So people people don't like seeing the work part of it, they just like seeing the, the shiny wrapper on the outside. So yeah. I guarantee you most overnight successes, it took a hot minute to get there. Yeah, no, you're, you're exactly right on there. The, the old, uh, you know, it takes about a decade to create an overnight success. Yes, you know? exactly. Yeah, we get that. Um, Aaron, thank you so much for coming to share with us and just helping to hopefully open our, our audience's eyes to the work that you guys are doing. And, and also I think your insights on, you know, going from, um, one viewpoint as a board member to now being the CEO. I think people will find that helpful. Thanks for sitting down with us. Not a problem. Thank you so much for having me.